Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. So this episode is brought to you by NorthPass Business. Against small businesses and startups, they often work with limited resources and reduce costs wherever possible. While this is sometimes practical, cybersecurity is one area where you don't want to cut corners. Creating strong, unique passwords for your company's accounts is a surefire way to defend your business from data breaches. However, with the number of personal and work logins we use daily, it's very easy to get password fatigue, leading to reusing the same passwords across accounts. So NordPass Business is a powerful password manager for organizations that removes the difficulty of generating and remembering strong passwords for you and your colleagues. Additionally, it allows for you to integrate single sign-on with your company's Google Workspace accounts and effortlessly create groups to share sensitive information across teams and projects. So see NordPass Business in action now with a three-month free trial by going to nordpass.com forward slash Pantera and use the code Pantera. This episode is brought to you by Basecamp. So Basecamp is a project management and team communication application that has been around for about 18 years, and it's used by thousands of companies today. Basecamp is all about simplicity. It is designed to give you and your team the tools you need to get work done. They have message boards, to-dos, file storage, chat calendar, and much more. Basecamp is built to help you in getting out of your way and let you focus on what matters. Again, you know, like when you're adding a bunch of people, there's a bunch of files that need to be shared. You need to be effective. And that's where Basecamp comes in. They actually are from the guys that brought to you 37 signals. And really, they help in making decisions simple and also effective. So go to Basecamp. Their pricing is simple and they give you the all, all really the features in a single plan. No upsells, no upgrades. Go to Basecamp.com forward slash dealmakers and try Basecamp for free. No credit card required and cancel at any time. Thank you, Basecamp, for sponsoring this episode. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very inspiring founder. You know, I think that the breakdowns and breakthroughs that he has experienced, you know, through how he is in own journey, you know, are going to be remarkable because without a doubt, you know, the entrepreneurial journey is not a straight line as we would probably see on the media outlets, but nevertheless, you know, quite a rocket ship that he has built. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Eitan Ben-Susan. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. Happy to be here. So originally from Canada, uh, you know, from Montreal, tell us a little of life growing up. Give us a, a walk through memory lane. So p- apart from the cold, uh, <laughs> the thing that I, I certainly, you know, that marked my, a lot of my childhood was growing up in a family of small business owners. Um, my father, grandfather, aunts, uncles, um, and the way that the business ran our family was remarkable. Um, the greatest stresses and anxieties would be, you know, when the books had to close and you'd see, you know, well-trained professionals just completely, um, you know, melting apart. Um, and that, that really was, you know, this lesson for me. Now they got older, just realizing, you know, my father's an engineer yet the thing he spends all of his, you know, the mental energy of his business is on the money side of things, not, you know, the engineering side that seemed to come easy to him. Um, and that problem really stayed with me and in many ways kind of eventually, you know, inspired a lot of what North One became and has become. 
And we'll talk about North One in just a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm wondering here, like from, from being in a, in a family of small business owners, what did you get? I mean, was that, you know, being part of that and, and experiencing that, you know, indirectly, did you kind of like tell yourself that one day you would have a business of your own? Yeah, but bigger. So I, I always, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's true. When I was, I was in uh, high school, I used to walk around with the, um, the, the book that Bill Gates had written at the time. And I would like read all these bios of, of business builders who had taken what was, could have been a small business but made it a gigantic business and was convinced that somehow that was where I was going to, what I wanted to be building probably inspired many of my life decisions. Um, but yeah, th this idea that one day I would want to run a business came directly from that environment of seeing it happen, you know, successfully and unsuccessfully, but certainly seeing it around me so much. That's amazing. Now, law. Why law? I mean, it sounds like you were set on business. So why law? It's even, there's even a, a, a broader question. I started my, my studies in university with um, biochemistry and mathematics. And coming from a from a from a family with a lot of engineers a lot of you know professionals i always thought that i'd have to build the thing that i would build a company with that it wouldn't be you know just management but there would actually have to be some sort of invention it just was kind of this this model i had in my head that you have to know something hard of hard sciences to be able to create something uh and so i i had this idea of you know biochemistry bioinformatics pharmacology this could be an interesting company Eventually, I realized over time I had no idea what I, what I'd been talking about, but nonetheless um, had had a great education. The law part of it was, in many ways, my attempt to transition out of hard sciences into kind of people, society, business, uh, in a way that still provided me with a lot of structured and analytical thinking to go along the way. Um, and it was kind of that bridge into the, the the next part of my life. Now, one thing that is very interesting, you know, that I've that I've seen, you know, as part of your of your career is, you know, when you when you were in law school and doing the MBA, you know, you were kind of like falling behind, you know, as part of the class. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got a, you know, a heads up, you know, or, or a slap on the wrist, you know, from from really seeing, you know, where you were. And and the same thing happened too, you know, when you were working at McKinsey. So, yeah, it sounds like you like to be on the edge and then all of a sudden, you know, like you wake up and you make it happen. So, so what, what's going on with that? Yeah, this is, you know, when I look back, I, I can totally connect the dots. Um, it's just just absolutely refusing to give up no matter what. Um, you know, when I was in law school, I went from being in the top, you know, 3% of the faculty of science in my, my undergraduate studies to the bottom, I think, 10 or 15% of, of my class in law. I'd never seen like letters go that low um, and was just feeling like I, this must have been a terrible decision. I, I made a big mistake. And I remember sitting in the dean's office winding up to tell him that I thought, you know, I should probably, you know, exit law school and, you know, leave it. And, and as I heard myself saying that, I just stopped myself on the spot and realized that like, there is no chance I can do this. I'd rather suffer than quit. And I just went as hard as I could to out, outlaw law school and to become the best. I ended up in the top 10 or 15% of my, of my class, but I kind of made sure that for, for years, for four years since that, that conversation, um, I gave up a whole lot to make sure that I could only exit law on my terms and not, you know, because I, I didn't make it. And, you know, the same thing at McKinsey, there was a really challenging moment in my second year there where I got this message saying, you know what, this is maybe just not the right place for you from a very senior partner who clearly knows what they're talking about. But when I heard that, my immediate reaction was, you know, I said out loud, like, challenge accepted. I, I respectfully disagree. And... I brute force, I said, like, I'm going, to, I'm going to exit McKinsey when I'm ready to. I'm not going to let them exit me. And so I stayed another three and a half years 
um, and stepped away when things were actually looking and working much better than they had been earlier on. But it was really about doing it on my own terms. That was just so stubborn, but but also, you know, such a, a deep part of my DNA that I've discovered. And what do you think sparked your interest to uh, keep a close eye on what was happening in Europe with fintech? So I got it was it was very fortunate. My my um, time at McKinsey, we were spending a lot of time on what you know called access to finance problems: the underbank, the the poorly banked, or the non-bank people. What do you do with them? And there was this something happening in Europe that everything in North, everyone in North America was trying to very really confused with. You know, what is this neo-banking thing coming out of Germany, out of out of London? These are not places that people typically thought were going to be, you know, massive tech capitals. And so there's this this moment when they said, "We got to study what's happening there." And I spent a lot of time diving into the fintech, the the early early fintech scene in in London, in Paris, in Berlin, in Tel Aviv, watching. You know the European expression of what you know today we call fintech, neo banking, challenger banking. Just seeing all these folks spring up, and what inspired me candidly was the audacity that people had. You know, just completely let's rewrite the rules of how banking is experienced and is delivered. There was one point even a bank that was changing its interest rates based on Facebook likes, um, and I thought like that's crazy, but that's incredible that someone is actually trying this because it was one of those things that had never changed. And I looked, you know. Stateside, I looked across America and I, I could see barely nothing like this happening. And it was so obvious to me that this was the future, that whatever people had figured out in Europe was where the whole world was going to go. And um, I quit, you know, I quit my job and said, like, I have to be, I have to build this. Like, I don't want to be an advisor for this. I want to actually, you know, go out into the field and play. And the moment, the thing that truly inspired the, the action for me was, you know, seeing all of this neobanking come up, you know, early Revolut, early N26, Monzo, all these guys. And then hearing my family constantly talk about how you know it's such it's such an overwhelming experience to pull your ledger from the bank and all you get is row data and you you have to then look at every transaction and decide if it's legitimate or not high too high too low too early too late find the paper trail I've just connected the dots well for reinventing banking for personal use if we reinvented it for for businesses then the bank is one of the best places where you could be building a finance department for these businesses that could never afford to build one that don't have the internal skill sets. Uh, or the time to build a proper finance function. That's this kernel that eventually flowered into you know what North One is today. Now let's talk about North One. Then you know at what point you know does the idea come to mind, and you're like, okay, you know, let's let's go. It started as a little idea, and my first my first reaction was obviously someone has thought of this. The idea that a bank and a banking platform could be set up to act as the finance department for a business rather than you know a store of value and a lender. And so for a long time, I just sat with the idea, just looking for someone who had done it because it felt so obvious to me that this is, this is where everything is going. And then at some point, I became so obsessed with the idea, I kind of stopped caring about most other things. I just I could not understand how this thing was not working. And I was just convinced that the, the banks across America would, would launch this. Like they would learn like what I was learning coming out of Europe and say, oh, it, it's so clear. Let's go build a version of this for businesses. Um, but they didn't. And that's when I shot my shot. I said, you know, look, maybe, maybe the world will catch up years from now as opposed to years before now, which I was convinced they would. When I realized the impact it could have on small business, that's when I, when I jumped. I mean, 80% of small businesses fail because of cash flow illiteracy. And the ability to give them, you know, increasingly more control and visibility into that has such an important societal impact. And then I first bring it to my, my upbringing. I saw the way generational wealth was lost you know, in a week by some, you know, people around me as a child whose small businesses failed. 
and I could just put a put a face to the statistic, and that's really what compelled me to say, um, I have to try, I have to, I have to be part of this. You know, obviously before before talking all the early days, which I'm sure that the folks listening, you know, would really you know find you know incredible. I I'd love to hear you know as well, so that we all get it. You know, what ended up being the business model of North One? How do you guys make money? Yeah. So North One, you know, so hey, first of all, North One is a challenger bank for small businesses. And and the the mission behind North One, this will infuse, you know, where the pricing model comes from. Our goal is to actually build a finance department inside of every small business in America um, and beyond. Um, but to do that, the, the ticket into the life of these small businesses is the bank account and the technology that gives you relevance and reach within their lives. And so North One, um, you know, we make money a number of ways. First, we charge $10 a month. So this is kind of the idea being it's a play for value, not a play for cost. The insights, the degree of complexity that we simplify, the value add, that should speak to the kind of businesses that would be our customers. And it actually works. You know, it helps when the business isn't big enough to warrant $10 a month. That's actually not bad for us that they go somewhere else. Um, when the businesses that we onboard tell me, you know, I've been paying $100, $150 a month for the same functionality, if not less, that's the right value proposition. So it's a good signaling factor. And then we, so every account is a, is a paid account. The idea is like Netflix for banking, right? $10 for as much banking as you need. And then we make money on interchange and uh, money on you know, a couple of other transaction types and on the balances, a very, very standard for FinTech. But the important piece for us was putting up that, that $10 fee as a calling card to say, if you, if, if this is not a big deal for you, then you're, you're the kind of client will see tremendous value from what we're offering within. So we'll get back to our conversation in a minute. But if you're an entrepreneur or a sales leader, you want to listen to this. Let me tell you about Wingman. Not, no, no, not Tom Cruise. Wingman is a conversation intelligence tool that helps folks like you coach and scale up their sales teams really fast, really easy. Now, I know you know scaling is not just about hiring. Getting the team up to speed can be the real speed bump. Well, Wingman can help you in getting that. It lets you build call libraries with game tapes relevant to every cell situation, complete with highlights and notes, and it's asynchronous. I mean, repeatable sales training engine. Not just that, Wingman even helps during sales calls with contextual battle cards and monologue alerts. The great thing about Wingman is that it plays nice with all your existing tools like Salesforce, HubSpot, Zoom, Teams, and Google. It even syncs up with Slack so you don't have to log into your CRM all the time for deal updates. So head over to trywingman.com to give it a try. That is T-R-Y-W-I-N-G-M-A-N.com. It's just the wingman your sales needs to really predictably beat revenue targets quarter after quarter. This episode is brought to you by Partner Hero, which provides customer service outsourcing that's built for the needs of scaling and high-growth startups. They offer flexible terms, fast onboarding, and the ability to scale teams quickly. Perfect for fast-growing businesses. I mean, let's face it, you know, you're all startups. You know, it's time for you to really stop trying to do absolutely everything. You need to get yourself out of the supporting box so you can actually focus on growing your business. So again, Partner Hero is flexible. They have quality assurance. They have offices around the world to really provide that help and support that you need. And if you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, then check out Partner Hero. Head over to partnerhero.com 
forward slash dealmakers to book a free consultation with their solutions team and mention that you heard about Partner Hero from Dealmakers and they'll waive the setup fee. The early days were tough. I mean, you were literally going, even crying to the office. You were putting everything on your credit card, salaries. I mean, everything. I mean, what do you think got you to keep going? It's the same thing that, without realizing, got me to not quit other times in my life. I mean, it's going to, by the way, it's the same thing that powers me that will one day be my, my unraveling, right? My inability to quit, um, to just do it no matter what. Uh, I, I had such conviction that the idea had merit. I had seen it in the eyes of small business owners I'd interviewed. I could remember my grandfather talking about the same thing, the overwhelming pressure and anxiety of managing financial services for your business, that that was as clear as day. And to me, it wasn't a question of whether or not the idea had merit. The question was, I need to convince people that this is a fundable and a real business idea. And if anything is wrong, it's me who's the problem. I am the one who's not conveying this obvious, like this is such a great idea. Um, and so every time I'd go to a pitch, right? I mean, 150 investors turned me down before one said yes. I had an Excel sheet. And every time I'd hear, I get the pitch and get the feedback, I'd make notes. I said, what did I do? And it was an iterative process because I was just so convinced that the idea was inherently fantastic. And I had to improve my ability to communicate the excitement um, until eventually it hit the spot. Wow. So let's talk about that then. You were talking about investors. How much capital have you guys raised to date for the company? Just about 90 million. And what has been the experience going from one cycle to the next? The first cycle that we ever raised was about the idea, the potential, even just the, the, the concept of it. But ever since then, um, it really was about growth, about customer, you know, intensity of customer usage, et cetera. And I, we'd always built a business that could stand on its own two feet. We really wanted to have good unit economics. You know, we didn't want to have a bit of a, a dream that one day this thing can actually be. We wanted to actually be able to see within the customer relationships that we have a meaningful revenue and kind of profitable relationship with the customer. Um, and that really came to fruit when, when the last round we, we raised money over the course of the summer and fall of 2022. Um, and as you know, like the whole world and startup world was melting apart then. And this is when it really, you have to really read the EQ in the room and, and a bit of a body language. You know, you, you have the same pitch that let's say six months earlier would, would have worked just well, just perfectly well with investors. And you could tell that that's not where their mind was at. You, when you start leading with growth and you're leading with top line and you could see that what they're really itching for is to understand unit economics, margin structure, you know, path to break even, et cetera. Um, those subtle cues of where you felt that they were impatient or where they were driving you. I flipped the script pretty meaningfully to start with the things that they cared more about to earn, I guess, the, the rest of their interest, understand the rest of the business. And, and that was a, a pretty meaningful flip on, the, on, a, on a pitch that had typically worked many times over in previous cycles. Just every time we had more data to show that the business is working, but the, the story was broadly the same until this last round where uh, you really had to rethink how do you tell the story of North One and why it is a worthy investment. And the last round that you guys did, it was uh, obviously tough, you know, given the environment. Yeah. So, uh, so what is it like to raise capital in an environment, you know, like this one? Yeah, I, I would say the, the hardest thing is the mental game that you play. Um, you, you're seeing everything fall apart around you. And you're just wondering, like, is there a bullet headed for you? Like, you don't see it, right? But you're, you're looking at this. And the, and the hardest thing, you know, when you're on the raise circuit, especially if you're a little bit in person, 
you will see a lot of other founders who are kind of in the same places. Um, and you kind of see a couple of familiar faces at the moment in time that you're raising. And in normal times, it was a bit of a camaraderie, right? Like you get to congratulate, hey, I saw you raised your round. That was amazing. We saw you at this, this person's office or that. The opposite was happening this time. You had this, this effect where the people that were raising with you were actually shutting down. They said, you know, I didn't get to raise. We're, we're going to actually wind down the company. And that's such a chilling effect to see that, you know, on your left, on your right, people are falling and you're just doing your best to keep your, keep your head together while um, this, this massive shift is underway. And, and while you're going through it, you don't totally know how to pinpoint it. You can feel something has changed. Something is very different. Um, but it's only in retrospect that you can properly articulate what was happening in that time and why, you know, investor sentiment and, and the way you thought about your business was changing. So then I guess, you know, for you guys too, you know, to, to get an understanding and an idea on the scope and size of the business, I mean, anything that you can share, you know, with the folks that are listening in terms of number of employees or anything else that you feel comfortable sharing? Sure. I mean, look, the number of employees is pretty public. It's on, uh, it's on LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> but look, we're, we're about uh, just about 70 employees. You know, we, we really raised the last round to, to last us the journey of the winter that was ahead of us. Um, you know, in one of the early interviews where they said, so, you know, this is going to be for hiring, I assume. I said, you know what, like, we know what we need to do with the business. And we actually realized we don't need to deploy tons of this capital to hiring. We have other plans for it. Um, and that's a really important piece. We've, we've done a lot of work on getting a lot of scale on a per revenue, per customer basis, per employee basis, sorry. Um, how much can we keep that early stage scrappy mindset? Um, and, and kind of bring it as, as we scale as long as possible. Um, so that's a really important point. I think in terms of, um, you know, customer growth, look, we, we grew uh, four and a half X over the course of, you know, 2021 and, and early 2022. I mean, we were, the world was growing. I think now, um, you know, the business has been growing for quite some time. The real question for us as we study and kind of serve our customers is to understand um, which sectors of the economy give us signals that, that things are really weakening. You know, it's one thing to read the news and to see the the Twitter feeds that are scrolling, that everything has, has fallen apart. But when you speak to a lot of our customers, um, their, their businesses, I mean, they're nervous, but their business hasn't shrunk dramatically. They're still doing good business. Things are, things are moving. And so really right now, we're really on the watch to see, like, is there going to be some sort of signal that things have really fallen off a cliff? Or are we going to be in, um, you know, in a, in a more of a, a soft trend over time? So that, that's really where our, our minds are focused. And how do you see the current climate, especially for small business, you know, given where you're looking at things from? So the, the, apart from the fact that their prices are going up uh, and they can't find people to hire, ironically, you know, we're talking about a recession, but the small businesses can't hire fast enough. Um, it's a very weird moment. The thing that is really hard on them psychologically is that there is, the world has stopped becoming predictable. You know, if you think of the last few years, they went from a moment when, you know, small business versus Amazon, small business versus Walmart, you know, giant threats to COVID sends everything upside down, relief loans, give them a lifeline, then the relief loans stop, then people get vaccines. And then right as that happens, you have supply chain issues. And now you have possibly, you know, you have inflation, you have a recession. There's no way for them to say, based on the last six months, this is how I provision for the next six. The, the, the whole concept of thinking forward is completely melted apart for so many of them. That's actually a paralyzing fear. Some of our customers, you know, we'll talk to them and they, they're, they're hesitant to even spend a penny because they just don't know what's coming up. And so it's whiplash. And by the way, all that they're graduating into 
is again to compete with Walmart and Amazon. Like, <laughs> the original threat hasn't gone away. They're just trying to stand on their own two feet to go back to finding a way to battle those giants. So it's not without its pressure, but I, I will say the the inspiring part of this kind of a customer base, the, the real privilege I have of speaking to these businesses is just the, the incredible resilience and do-it-yourself mindedness that they have. You know, A lot of them say, I'm not going to depend on any loan from any government. I'm not going to depend on anybody saving me. I'm going to figure this out myself. And you see in real time how these businesses are, are reinventing themselves for, for the moment. Um, it's, it's really, really inspiring to watch them. And I guess, uh, you know, too, for, for you, I mean, if, if you had the opportunity of going to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of North One is fully realized, what does that world look like? Oh, it's, it's an amazing world. Um, <laughs> look, at scale, North One looks a lot less like um, a more beautiful Wells Fargo or Chase. The, the goal is not to replicate what there is with better technology and design. I mean, it's, it's a great piece. The, it, lo it looks a lot more like um, a Shopify or a Figma, where the, 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 core, the, the core of the whole offering is this bank account, but it is the door to a platform around which many different tools of the small business finance department plug in. That, to me, is where North One goes over time. It's, instead of, it's changing the power dynamic of the financial system. You know, Most small businesses, they'll Google loan or credit card, and they don't know what to choose. The goal for us is to bring these services to the small business right in their bank accounts and help them choose between um, to connect all these different tools and use you know the data of the bank account as the backbone for those. That's where this all goes. The same way that Shopify's commerce storefront is this anchor for such a huge world behind it. Same thing with the North One you know bank account. That is kind of the door to a whole finance department and ecosystem behind it as well. And and the impact of that, the reason that this matters is that if we do this well and if we do it at scale. Um, you don't need to have 50% of businesses failing within five years, right? You don't need to have 80% of those failures being related to cash flow literacy. You know, we see it in early data. Our customers fail at a slower rate than their peer groups. 89% of them tell us that they're in better financial health now that they've joined North One than before. So these kind of early metrics is exactly what we hope to have at scale. Nice. So uh, I guess for a company like this, probably the most challenging thing, especially as you're thinking about building this kind of stuff at scale, I mean, it's, it's regulation, right? I mean, it's a, there's a lot of regulations that apply. So what have you learned about navigating, you know, very complex, say, regulatory environments like this? So it's, it's as a fintech, um, especially one, you know, like a neobank, your partner is your gateway into the regulator's world. Um, so the partner that you, our partner bank, you know, our BAS providers, et cetera, these are such foundational choices, and sometimes even hard to know this in advance because their comfort with the regulation, you know, their the standing they have with regulators will determine your um, life as a startup far more than a lot of the things you can do to your, for yourself internally. And so that's a really, really important piece. We we look at regulation through their eyes, um, but also you know we we look at it through the eyes of you know independently. How should we be? humble to what a regulator's job is, which is to, to make sure that there is security and transparency, et cetera. These are principles we bring internally so that already from the get-go, we are already thinking about these issues and building it into our designs as opposed to trying to slap it on at the end of it when we've kind of built something and we say, oh, I guess we were, we're regulated and we have to change a lot of things. It, it, it permeates all of our discussions and it permeates all of our partnership choices too. Now, imagine if I had the opportunity of putting you into a time machine. And I bring you back in time. 
I bring you back in time maybe to that moment where you were still in McKinsey. You were like taking a look at what was going on in Europe and maybe thinking about doing something of your own. If you had the opportunity of going back in time and sitting down that younger Itan and being able to give that younger Itan one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now? Think less, act more. The shift in my mind over the last, you know, 10, 15 years has been far, you know, it used to be a lot more analysis before I would act to um, really valuing a bias to action in the strongest terms so that it unlocks analysis through data. Um, and I think, you know, I, I would have started the company sooner. I would have, you know, made a lot of these moves quicker. And I think the, the, the greatest lesson I learned, if I could tell that person, is just follow your gut so much more. Your gut makes smarter mistakes than your brain might. And so that's a really valuable learning that you're not accounting in when you think of, you know, your, your two by two or your flow chart of how you want to, you know, roll out a decision. And I guess, you know, on rolling out a decision, I mean, what, what is, what is your typical, you know, way of, of procedure. I mean, meaning, you know, if you have like, let's say, you know, a problem that you're dealing with, you know, that maybe you don't have like all the information available to you and you need to act fast on it. What What is your typical way of, of being to tackle whatever is in front of you? So, yeah, I think the first thing for me is I, I use, I use like Google Docs or Microsoft Word a lot for this. I try to type out the fact base. I just try to really make sure that I can articulate what do I know about the situation. That's actually clarifying because sometimes I realize a lot of the things I think I know are assumptions, which leads me to, you know, what are the things that I must test or know or get some basic assumption on for me to, to act? More often than not, you simply identify the, the core assumptions that you're building on and you, you run with it. But sometimes you have an opportunity to say, you know, I could actually research this piece. I could actually spend 15 minutes scouring on Google looking for any sort of benchmark that there is out there to give me directional directional evidence as to how, how to think about this assumption. <laughs> so Eitan, so for the people that are listening that would want to reach out and say hi, what would be the best way for them to do so? Any platform, you know, Twitter, uh, at Eitan Bensusan, LinkedIn, I'm on there. Um, reach out through the website. You, you reach me by email. It's all over the place. You know, Eitan at northland.com. There's, there's no shortage of ways and I'm, I'm fairly open with that. All right. Well, Eitan, thank you so, so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you, Alejandro. It's a real pleasure. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember, that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.